everyone. Welcome back to Group Therapy. I'm one of your hosts, licensed psychologist, Dr. Jessica Rabin. I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. J. I'm licensed clinical social worker, Kristen Gingrich. And I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. Kristen Casey. This week, we are talking all about perfectionism. So settle in, take a seat, and welcome to Group Therapy. Last week, we did a live Ask Us Anything. If you were able to join live, we so appreciate you being there. Hey. And if you weren't, we hope you were able to re- listen to the recording last week. But our reflection question actually comes from the episode the week before that, where we discuss the judgments, misconceptions, and stigmas about mental health in honor of World Mental Health Day. So we asked you, what is the mental health stereotype that annoys you the most? Mm. Y'all, we got like, at the time of this recording, 32 responses, I think. So I'm just going to highlight a few and definitely go over to the Instagram to read. Um, But some of them that were attention seeking, that addiction is a choice, Mm. that therapy is just talking to someone about your problems, Mm. (laughs) that eating disorders are a choice. And that everyone with borderline personality disorder is violent and or attention seeking or manipulative. Oh There's some gosh. strong reactions in this group. I hate it. We didn't even dive into the substance use. No. During that episode. that episode. I could go on for hours about that. Maybe not hours, but for a very long time. You could probably go on for hours. You probably could. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I'm just going to rile myself up. So we're going to talk about perfectionism today. And I already shared this with y'all in our group chat earlier today, but I figured I would open with the quote that popped up on my time off today. So for context for our group members, apparently nine years ago today, I was reading Feeling Good by David Burns. Yes, I looked up what the quote was from and highlighted a portion of it about perfectionism and took a picture. So it came up on my time hop because apparently 25 year old me knew that nine years from now, I would be recording a podcast with three strangers I met on the internet about perfectionism. So I wanted to read it and open up our discussion. So the quote reads, perfection is a man's ultimate illusion. It simply doesn't exist in the universe. There is no perfection. It's really the world's greatest con game. It promises riches and delivers misery. The harder you strive for perfection, the worse your disappointment will become because it's only an abstraction, a concept that does not fit reality. So what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) What's Justin's thoughts on that? (laughs) First off, David Burns saying man's ultimate illusion can I just, can we just say the misogyny? How about that just rippled over everyone? Mm, no, uh, I know. No, but as, a, as an overall quote, like, yeah, it like feels like a, a wake up call because mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. It is an illusion. Like it's not something you can really ever achieve. Mm-hmm. And I think even just the concept of like thinking that you can achieve it is the thing that gets in the way the most. Because you think it's like a viable option and it's, mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's just really not, especially when you think about life, life is so complex and gray. Right. Well, and there's so much that's outside of our control that even if for a moment we think we are in that box, life can throw a curveball at any moment and mm-hmm. shake that up. And mm-hmm. so even if you, even if you feel like you've achieved that in whatever capacity, like 
it can change at any moment because we don't actually have a lot of control over everything. Mm -hmm. I think one part that really stood out to me about the quote is that it promises riches and delivers misery. Cause I think a lot of people, and I'm sure we're going to get into this think like, Oh, if I'm just like, if I do everything perfect, I'm going to like be so proud of myself and be so happy. And like all these positive things, but really it comes with misery and stress and overwhelm and feeling not good enough. Yeah. That one, that hurt. Just <laughs> Cause I think like with perfectionism, I think that we think that if we get it right and we get it perfect, that we're going to feel amazing. And like to Jess's mm-hmm. point, it's, it always, you're either stressed out trying to make it perfect or it's perfect. And then at what cost, you know, and then you can't really achieve that same result over and over again either. So Mm-hmm. So how would you all like define perfectionism or like what, what is this perfectionism thing we're talking about? The pursuit of something being flawless. Mm-hmm. And I think when you get into the categories that it could be, it could be in work, it could be in a particular craft, it could be in a relationship, it could be in the way you represent yourself, but it's this flawless pursuit uh, of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think a lot of like unattainable standards, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. setting those unattainable standards typically for the person themselves, but sometimes we may expect perfection from others as well. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes that Brene Brown does is she talks about perfectionism being a 10,000 pound shield that we use to put between us and the world that it's kind of like, again, that illusion um, that inside is so chaotic or messy or, you know, whatever it is that we put up this facade of perfectionism in order to protect us in some capacity, but again, it, it becomes a shield. So no one gets through that and it ends up being detrimental because it's 10,000 pounds. It's so heavy. It's not even, it's not even helpful. Mm -hmm. And then I think like, what are the consequences of that for other people? And for you, it's like, it just fosters disconnection. Like if you're perfect all the time and you have it all together all the time, it's like, okay, like I can't relate to that. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, who could relate to that? Like, that's not real. Nobody has it together all the time. That's just an example. But KB, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I hadn't heard that one before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. So the ways I deal with perfectionism personally is within my own like content creation is when it comes out the most, but it would come out for me in anything I'm putting a lot of energy into. Mm -hmm. I don't at all feel that interpersonally. Like even that Mm -hmm. metaphor with the shield and stuff, I'm like, I don't fucking feel that at all. Don't relate to that. But that's when the nuance of like, what kind of perfectionism are we talking about? But if you tell me I'm about to create this craft or play this game or mm-hmm. learn this skill, something I'm going to put energy into, that's where it does, which is interesting. But in working with people with perfectionism, I think it's more rare. This has just been my experience that it's universal in everything in their life, in how they see themselves. It certainly exists. I start thinking about OCPD a little bit when that is the case, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which we can talk about. But I think 
more often people can have these like more categorical areas of perfectionism um, where for me, it just becomes really hard to pivot from because of these messages. Like, I know I can do this better. I know this could Mm -hmm. be better. I know this could be improved upon. And to a certain extent, I'm right. It could be. And what is the cost of that pursuit? Mm-hmm. A lot of time, energy, and frustration. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think it's like Justin touching upon, like, it also varies from person to person. So, like, Justin, when you're talking about content creation, right, I remember our time in Florida where <laughs> yeah. we're like, I'm just, like, busting out videos. And Justin's like, do you want to reshoot that? I'm like, no, we got it in one take. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, you look great. Like, it looks fine. And, and like, that's a constant, I think between us, like a running joke of like, Justin will reshoot a video 12 times. I'm like, ah, it's good. I'm good. I'm good with the one shot. Let's go. Um, but there are, for me, like there are other places in my life where I'm kind of that opposite, where a lot of my perfectionism previously, cause I am kind of that recovering perfectionist was interpersonal. Mm. And was the way that I presented myself to the world Mm -hmm. and that I was always put together. I always had my hair and makeup done. I always was the go-to person. I always was the person you could count on in everything. And that was my perfectionism while internally. So right. That 10,000 pound shield while internally I was struggling with trauma with kind of a lot of other interpersonal relationship stuff. And I did that because I didn't want people to see me for who I was. But on the opposite end, I shoot a video in one take. And I'm like, that's been, it's all it's different for everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think about my perfectionism, definitely it came out in school, like mm-hmm. very high achieving. Yeah. And when we're thinking about like consequences of such, like, sacrificing my sleep to study for a test when Mm. in reality like staying up till two in the morning to study for a test is actually going to probably make me perform worse than going to bed at a decent (laughs) hour um but and and work um especially like internship postdoc like when you're new in the field and making sure you're doing everything right and it's funny kbi when you brought up like interpersonally like i for a long time didn't realize how like i projected myself to the world and i have this distinct memory junior year algebra two maybe i don't know it was math class and you know a friend was just talking to me and they were like well you wouldn't understand you're perfect and i was like no i'm not what are you talking about and they were like like you're like straight A student, like, like I'm sure you've never gotten in trouble, all this stuff. And it wasn't like an intentional thing, but I think I just was so like trying to meet the expectations of others that my perfectionism did actually without me noticing cause me to act in certain ways or kind of put out this persona that I didn't even realize I was doing until that moment at what, 16 years old in math class. Wow. Oh my God. Just hearing you guys talk about perfectionism, I'm trying to think of where it showed up for me. And I think for me, like the most notable area that it showed up was with emotions. Um, Before I got into my doctorate program, I was like, I don't care about emotions. 
And then the doctorate program's like, oh yeah, you do because you gotta, you gotta help other people with this stuff. So you gotta be okay with it. Um, but I never wanted people to see me like go through a hard moment or not be the person like KBI saying that they could rely on. Cause I was always there for other people. And I think the careers that I picked before I became a psychologist really reinforced that. Like I told you guys, even just before we got on the call, like um, being an EMT, I was just so numb. Like I didn't have any emotions. I did. I was just like suppressing them because you can't really show emotions in those careers. Right. So, but I think really, if I think about it, you can, but I was afraid. I was afraid of people seeing flaws, you know, uh, emotional flaws. And now I just, no, I don't really care. Like I got on the call today with you guys and I'm like, whoa, I had a, I had a day, I had a, I had a moment, you know? Um, and I was really honest about it, but I think it is okay to show that. But I was so worried about what people would think about me. Like, oh my God, she's being emotional or she's being hysterical or she's being dramatic. Like all like the st- typical stereotypes for women. And I just never wanted to fall into that category. Uh, Cause I just felt like, no, we, women could just be as just as good as men. Right. But really what's happening is I'm disconnecting from other women and I'm disconnecting from men too. So I think for me, it was really a big journey of allowing myself to be vulnerable emotionally and not worrying about so much of like, I have to be emotionally perfect all the time. Yeah. Could I then think about like where the different avenues perfectionism comes from? Mm -hmm. And I know for me, it was very much stemming from trauma because I, you know, growing up, I didn't, I didn't have any of that. I was a terrible student. I did not care. I did not even like playing sports and stuff. I would play for a while and quit. Like I didn't care. But then like really after my brother died, like I did well in undergrad and that was rewarding and uh, motivating in different ways. But it was like after my brother died that a lot of us develop like trying to keep things perfect when everything around you is like falling apart. Yeah. So it's like you commonly see that off of trauma um, I'm not sure either for yourself or the other ways you see perfectionism develop for people or what it's related to. Mine was di- directly related to like the narratives that were being told to me growing mm-hmm. up, right? You don't want to be like your mother. You need mm-hmm. to do better than we did. You like, you have to do these things. So like I, the narrative was college is the only option. You need to get great grades to go into college. You can't miss school. You can't do this. So like I literally talked about this this morning, right? I had perfect attendance in school from third grade when my dad got custody of me until I graduated high school. The only time I missed school was for a Disney vacation in middle school and for college tours that I technically didn't miss for because it was a part of the program at the school. The only time I missed school was because they forced me home because I had a 104 degree fever passing out in math class. And I remember arguing with the nurse saying, I have to stay in school because in my head, if I left school, I was, I was now not like, it was tied to like that worth and that like I was now not a good enough student because I missed a day of school. And because, and now I was, we go back to a couple episodes ago, right? This cognitive distortions of now I'm going to fail out and be Mm -hmm. and all of this. And so um, a lot of mine came from narratives that were being told to me um, growing up and really a lot were like self-imposed 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Justin, when you said trauma, I almost wonder if like control stuff is embedded within that for some people. Because uh, I think for some people, it, at least for me, it was like a sense of wanting control over either the narrative like KBI is saying or even just my own like experience, you know, uh, to maintain either an image or to maintain, I don't know, something. Because uh, I think growing up, I grew up in so much chaos that if I was like the calm one, then like everybody else was calm because I was calm. So I was like, okay, if I'm calm, everybody else would be calm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but really, I was just trying to control my situation. But maybe that came out of trauma. Um, and for some of my clients, I think a lot of the clients that I see, notably with anxiety and perfectionism, a lot of it is like performance based. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does come from a sense of like, you know, I don't want to mess up or, you know, people have told me that I'm not smart. So let me prove them wrong sort of things. So let me be perfect. It's interesting hearing you all because like I'm sitting here racking my brain of like, where do I think my perfectionism has come from? And honestly, I think part of it is just my innate like personality. Cause like, mm-hmm. I can't think of like, any trauma that made the only thing that was coming to mind, like I was definitely always labeled like the smart kid. So I think that definitely probably reinforced it. But like, like you can ask my parents when I was like a toddler, I chose to do flashcards for fun, like as an activity, like that's not surprising to any of you. I know, but like, like my, like, and my mom tells the story all the time that like, this people are like, do you do like time? do you do like flashcards with her and she was like no she just like 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 i would play school all the time and like things like that i know just just never had a childhood like you were already an adult i've been 30 my whole life i've been 30 my whole life um but like so i don't like i i think part of some people that are perfectionistic is kind of just like trait like personality like i'm like if we're going off of the like personality, I'm highly neurotic and highly conscientious. Like those are the two mm. that are the highest for me. And if you think of kind of those traits, I feel like some of them really lean into perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Th- those are absolutely the words I would use to describe you in the most loving, a conscientious way. and neurotic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like 100%. Like those are always so high in the other ones. And never, are like, re- and never relaxed. <laughs> that's not in the ocean the big five <laughs> okay i'm adding it okay <laughs> threw it in the ocean with you <laughs> yeah but because no, i, I agree that there can be this biological or like mm-hmm. more personality trait and i start thinking about ocpd not putting that mm-hmm. on you but like of long-standing history of perfectionism rigidity and control mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. almost all situations they face. And I'm like, I don't know another, because we've already mentioned anxiety, OCD. It can also correlate with maybe not as highly, but it certainly can be there that it can be a part of the picture for someone with OCD, but not as much as OCPD, where it's like mm-hmm. that is within sort of the big three of what you're going to see somebody doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you Absolutely. say rigidity too, I think of like how perfectionism and rigidity for those with OCPD, at least the people that I've worked with of like, even trying to control the narrative of how other people not perceive them, but get it right. Like get their narrative. Right. Um, so sometimes if you're saying like, Oh, you must feel, 
you know, that must feel uncomfortable. And, you know, they might say something back and say like, yeah, and, and like, they'll kind of like over explain not to be demoralizing or demeaning or anything like that or anything. It's more so like, Hey, need you get it right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's an OCPD thing or a perfectionism thing, but I sometimes notice that too. Yeah. And so for any group members that aren't as familiar with OCPD and I'm no expert, um, exactly what Justin already said, the rigidity, perfectionism control. But a lot of times people with OCPD, similar to some other personality disorders, but different in the, and I'll get to that in a second, is that it usually impacts other people more than the person experiencing them because in their mind, they're doing everything the right way. Just right. right. This is how it has has to be, which is a big difference from OCD. Correct. Which, and I hate that they're labeled similar because OCD is very like intrusive thoughts. And Mm -hmm. the person with OCD does not want to do these compulsions. The person with OCPD is doing these things because it makes them feel good because in their mind, it's the right way of doing things. Does anybody want to add anything? Like I'm no expert, but that's kind of how I distinguish yeah, that's spot on. That's yeah. exactly right. And yet, yeah, perfectionism could be part of the constellation of both, but not always for OCD. But with OCPD, yeah, always. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it brings up an interesting question of, is perfectionism always bad? I can't wait to disagree with y'all here. Because I know what some of y'all are about to say, and I'm going to squash it right away. What are you going to say? I know. I, <laughs> well, I, know I, I know what some of y'all are going to try to do, and I'm going to squash it right away. So go ahead. What are we going to try to do? Trap, my little no. web that I've spun over here. I feel like we're about to box or something. Like. <laughs> I think the term perfectionism is never good. We agree. I think, I think that there, there are two different terms, and there is striving and like Brene Brown calls it healthy striving. And then Mm -hmm. there's perfectionism. I don't believe that perfectionism is ever good because it's not attainable, but there is something as far as healthy striving and acknowledging that like what perfection is and that that's not attainable, but I'm going to try my best to do well. And that what that looks like in any given situation can be different. That feels like a cop out and a workaround, but that's but that's exactly my standpoint. I because I thought we we're going to go back to our anxiety and stress debate, where I'm like, I, my stance is anxiety is always bad, always. <laughs> stress, on the other hand, can be good. I don't agree that anxiety can be good. I don't agree that perfectionism can be good. It's always bad. Striving for excellence. And again, this is why language matters. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm also a disciple of Brene Brown. So I, I agree with that. Of like, you got to know what are you talking about in the pursuit mm-hmm. of something being flawless. Although it may at times bring some good things, so would the pursuit of excellence or trying your best or however you want to word it. So, yeah, I don't think perfectionism is ever good. Oh, and like you said, like this idea of flawlessness. At the end of the day, as humans, we are flawed beings. And everything is. And like 
we look at that and I think we can, again, like you said, like we confuse perfectionism with that. So like, right. We have this idea of, we want like our medical doctors to be perfect, right? The person doing neurosurgery on this, we want us to be perfect. But the reality is, is that they are a flawed human. They're going to strive for excellence. And granted, we don't want to hear that. We want, we want to know that they're perfect, but the reality is, is that they're going to do the best with what they have, the training that they have and the knowledge that they have. And that's why we choose to go to the best neurosurgeon in our area. Um, but this idea of flying for excellence, not strive. Oh my God, I can't speak. This idea of perfectionism just is not, a, it, it doesn't work. So try to say something just in K10. I feel like this is what is happening right now. I feel now. like if we were in person, he'd be like knife handing her. Yeah. Or like, like, like net. I go. Is that like fruit ninja? Have you ever played that game? <gasps> fruit ninja is so fun. That's literally what Justin just looked like. Fruit ninja. Justin um, is a fruit ninja. That's it. It's over. So, The reason I like kind of made that face, my wheels were spinning is because I I agree that perfectionism is always bad because like we said, it's driving for unattainable. But KBI, when you were taught, but here's my, where I am now internally struggling when KBI, you were talking about like expecting your neurosurgeon to be perfect and like the word perfect, not perfectionism. I feel like there are times that being perfect is not bad. If you get a perfect score on a test is that bad? Depends no. if you're always pursuing that. Well, I would, so that would be dependent on the situation, right? So I think things yeah. can be perfect and not bad. Or like, okay. I guess a more general, like reflecting on like a wedding day or something. Things are always going wrong. But if your perception is like that went perfectly. Mm. That is, you know, exactly how mm. that's not necessarily bad, but I think exactly what you were saying, Justin, if you're striving for everything to be perfect, I think that's bad, but there are situations that can be perceived as perfect. And I don't necessarily think that is bad. I will say situations, not sure. people. If you perceive somebody as perfect, yeah. other than maybe like your newborn baby child before like the world or, or Taylor Swift. <laughs> Okay, or Taylor Swift. But yeah, no, that that's why my wheels are spinning because I was like, yeah, I agree until you said the thing about like we expect people to be perfect. And I was like, but there's probably some situations where we could argue that something being perfect isn't always bad. Or like if you worked hard and you got a perfect score, but like you're not continuously striving for that. Like, I don't think that's necessarily bad. I don't know. You're not we're just getting into nuance, yeah. I guess. No, I was just gonna say I I don't know when I made this switch in my brain, but I try not to use that adjective because I just think maybe it's triggering for myself, but like if something happened, I'd be like, oh, yesterday was perfect. Like even me saying that, I cringe. I Mm -hmm. don't like it as an adjective. I'm Mm -hmm. like, no fucking day is perfect. Mm -hmm. I could say, I loved yesterday, it was great. But there's something about it for me, and maybe it does trigger my own perfectionism in a way. I just, it's not an adjective I like using because it feels unrealistic. But I agree with you. You could say it's perfect for me. And you can use it all you want. 
I'm just saying for myself, there's something about it that almost feels maybe histrionic in a way. I don't, I don't know. I just don't really, I don't love it. Mm-hmm. I think like nothing is objectively perfect, but subjectively, I, mm-hmm. I think that certain things can be, you know, just it's based on your own expectations though. And it, I think it depends if it causes stress or not. Like if it's causing like this immense amount of stress for a stressor that isn't doesn't really call for that then i think it could be unhelpful is it bad i don't like to call things good and bad either it's like it's probably just unhelpful and again anybody disagree with me but i don't even think about like with uh cbt there's no good and bad thoughts it's helpful or unhelpful Mm -hmm. or effective or ineffective like and i guess yeah the nuance with that but for me if you know like jess is saying i guess with the wedding day it might be perfect and there might be a ton of things that went wrong. So objectively speaking to Justin's point, that wasn't perfect, but mm-hmm. in the eyes of that person, it was right. So I think it just depends on who's looking and who's measuring it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think of like perfectionism in the, in the form of like surgeries, like KBI is saying, or like life and death situations, like obviously like if somebody lives or dies, like that's like a, like a different situation cause it's black and white. Um, but I do think that it could be subjective. Because think about this, right? A perfect score for someone, just say on a test, is 100. And for someone else, they might say, oh, I got a 96. It's perfect for me. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a perfect score, but it's perfect for them, right? So I just yeah. think it depends on who's looking and who's measuring it, too. I saw Jess flinch when you said 96. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, Jess gets or, hundreds across the fucking she, board. She goes, like, oh. or, she, goes, she made no, the classic disgust look. <laughs> or it's like K10. Like K10's perfect fall snack is candy corn. So subjectively, that is the perfect fall smack, snack to her. To us, objectively, it's probably, in the rest of the world, it is the worst. You know, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of it. And you know what the they crazy have- part is? I don't even love candy corn that much. I just do it because everybody hates it. No, I'm kidding. I do like it. I just don't love it that much. We have this um, coffee shop here, and I thought of you today. It's called Aroma Joe's. And they make like these rushes. So they use energy drinks and the Torino's like flavored syrup. And they There's make a candy, candy corn one. Corn one. It is disgusting looking. So many people have told me about it. I'm it like, I don't like- live in Maine. It's like this, and then it has cloud top and sprinkles on it, and I'm like, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. I'd probably get it. You probably oh, yeah, would energy it. drink K10. Yeah. Like you would have to try get it, it before like 12 I, p.m. I low key want to try drinks. to figure out how to get whatever flavorings it is and get it in a cup, get a can of their stuff, and bring it to Florida with me. And so see, that would be happen. perfect, Justin. I'm sorry, I triggered you, but yeah. <laughs> 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 all right before transition it would be perfect for k10 <sighs> not for you justin so my brain will go all sorts of places like so our new goal is to say perfect as many times as we can when we're oh justin. my god don't upset justin like this it probably desensitize me it probably is what i need exposure therapy Good exposure which leads to what do we do about perfectionism y'all have not given much you've just triggered me Well, you opened up the door. I mean, allowing yourself to be a little messy with things, um, but then also really kind of acknowledging the things that you're doing well. I think it depends on the type of perfectionism. I'm thinking academically, you know, like if just say you didn't get the perfect score. I really didn't say that to upset you. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. Now I'm really thinking about what I'm saying. Uh, Just say you didn't get the most ideal score for you. Um, But 
and it doesn't feel good for you. And then you're like, oh, I could have got a more ideal score, you know, um, then you're just kind of like messing yourself up. So allowing yourself to be a little messy and maybe just, mm. you know, try something new and maybe intentionally get a question wrong. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Jess would freak out. Right. So then you're allowing yourself to kind of like mess up. And then what are the consequences of that? Are you going to die? Are you the worst person ever? Are you going to fail out of school? You know, and then kind of noticing that way. Um, obviously there's more to it, but that's just the first thing that came to mind. Justin, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no need to apologize. And those are great. I think, I think those tolerating imperfection is really key. I think there can be some exposure things with that. I think there could be some, you know, philosophy or like core belief things related to that. I think for, for me, like practically, like you can get a lot of practical interventions when you see where people are getting hung up. But like in my content creation, I will only give me a certain amount of time, which I don't even know is like a great notice. I didn't say perfect, a great intervention because sometimes I will do two or three takes and I'll be like, oh, but I still, I told myself I would give myself five minutes for this. So looks like I'm going to use all of it. So I don't know. Sometimes it feeds it, but it's far better than it used to be. Again, that first mm -hmm. year of content creation was just, I'm, I'm the only word that's coming to mind is hell. Like it was mm -hmm. a real struggle for me. I was doing things tens and tens of times, hours on end, doing the same thing just because I couldn't get out of the obsessive perfectionism cycle. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see our us all together again and work on Justin's perfectionism with perfectionism. <laughs> it's going to be exposure therapy to a nine. It's gotten a lot better. And the thing is, it's not like in the video you referenced, not like speaking from the perfectionist point of view. As per my Our, yeah. our timing <laughs> was off. It wasn't like how it was barely damn how I look. I'm saying it was, if the timing could be improved. So maybe there are preferences and not perfection. Okay. Which moments. one was it? Well, it was the caught a vibe, right? Kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna find that, and then we're gonna we're gonna look at that together. We'll, put, we'll post <laughs> it to it our, our stories, and the group members will vote. Were they Here's on the beat or not? What? What? Are people allowed to have preferences? Like, when, when does it bleed into perfectionism? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's another key consideration. Oh, yeah. Like, when the timing's off and it's lip syncing, delete it. Like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. You know what I mean? But that's me, you know? Maybe some people don't care. I don't know. I think when it stresses you out, becomes maladaptive, overwhelms you, like, is mm -hmm. more right. negatively yeah. impacting your mental health than... Like, yes, if the timing's off for lip syncing, I'm going to, like throw that in the trash too and re-record but oh absolutely um, but so off absolutely. like like a tiny like bit point oh oh one of a millisecond i'm not gonna care that much justin's in capco like i got this shit oh my <laughs> but that's the worst part is then i get into the editor and i'm like bah, 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 with the little yeah. razor blade like cutting it just so per oh my <laughs> gosh it's horrible i i think it's really bad but Again, you have to accept and embrace with any sort of perfectionism that there are parts that aren't working and mm -hmm. highlighting the parts. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I was wasting so much time. I did not feel good. And often the, the irony is I would post things that I was less feeling great that it was, quote, perfect. Mm -hmm. And they would do better often than the thing that I spent hours and hours mm -hmm. on. 
And then it really was like, how are you even measuring this? Like what? Yeah. yeah. It'd be, it almost had been more rewarding if the ones I spent a ton of time on did well. And any content creator will tell you, good luck no. trying to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for me, my perfectionism really started to result. And I'm not saying that this is a way to fix your perfectionism, mm -hmm. but like having uh -oh. a kid oh absolutely like threw my perfectionism yeah. out the door because I, I was not able to maintain it. And I realized just how miserable it was making me trying to maintain it. And then mm -hmm. it just kind of snowballed from there to becoming again, it started turning into more striving for excellence. And, but even that I'm like, even that looks so different than where it was before. Um, mm -hmm. I'm like, if I try my best, like that's just my best wherever I land today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only yeah. other things I would add, and a lot of this is related to like academic perfectionism since I work with a lot of teens and Justin, you kind of already like alluded to this, but like setting time limits. So like with studying, mm -hmm. like I set time limits on how long my clients can study for. Um, mm. or like if I have, I, I can think of a number of clients that maybe had a presentation or some performance based project. And so we would set limits on like how many times they could practice. Right. Because if you're practicing 27 times and it's taking you five hours and then you're not doing any of your other homework, like that's not helpful. And then another thing I do a lot of times, and K10, you were kind of talking about this more cognitively, is asking them like, what is the worst case scenario? What is the best case scenario? What is the most likely scenario? And a lot of times, and I can think of a client in particular, like when we start challenging perfectionism or like setting those limits, like you can only study this amount of time or you can only do this many takes, and they still do just as well. Mm -hmm. on whatever they were doing mm -hmm. or maybe mm -hmm. not just as well, but going back to <clears throat> grades, maybe they get a 96 instead of a hundred, but it's still an A and that 96 does not actually feel bad at all. Then they're starting to build up like, Oh wow. I don't right. have to waste all that time. I can yeah. get good quality sleep. I don't have to strive for this unattainable perfect score each time. You feel better. He's Please yeah. get degrees, baby. That's what I told myself. <laughs> get degrees. Nobody's going to know that C I didn't get C's A's. Get degrees see my degree. <laughs> C's get degrees. Yeah. Yeah. True. Not in doctorate programs because you got to get a B. But yeah. No. Yes. Correct. Not in doctorate programs. You get kicked yeah. out. But yeah. <laughs> you do. I don't know. I'm, I don't know what it was for y'all's program, but we could, I think, 1C. I don't know. Yeah, ours was a 1C. 1C. And then you, you could get no C's. Mm-mm. Yeah, we were. I don't know. Mine was pass fail. <laughs> you took. <laughs> they were all. It Stop. was all pass fail. Stop. <laughs> you. Wait, your whole you program was you pass know what, fail. You know what I'm. Did you take it through an app? Like, no. I don't. Can you take it through the phone service that Justin has for his <laughs> private? Oh my god! No, it was, a lot of ours were like presentations and like, like we didn't have like you guys had like a dissertation we didn't have that ours were a lot of like well that was past fail class you had like dissertation. a you <laughs> had like a like a like a last thing though right like a master's like 
project I mean, I or had, something like, or a research project, but I, it yeah. was, it was again, like pass fail. Still, See, you still have that would have challenged my perfectionism being in but a program that can you was imagine? Only pass, it's just pass but I think, I'd be like, like, I think it was like, you, I, <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the thing. Like there was a line, like, I think it was like the B line because I still had, like, you had to maintain a certain level, but like, I think it was that I think they just didn't apply numbers to it, which was a whole my mind here is in, blown right now. Here in Maine, guys, you get one, two, threes, or fours. You don't even get A's or B's or C's here. What it's planet are you? Maine is like a different country. It's like weird. what is going on? Like even in high school, yeah. I I'm pretty sure. Yes, like eighty percent sure. Now your okay. question before the podcast started of do I have Uber in South Florida? <laughs> I get it. I'm, I'll tell you all the things we have here since you have one, two, three, fours. and They have grades. You they ride have... mooses never, everywhere up there. I have oh, I never, never seen a, place a moose in the wild. Okay. Never once. Wait, you've never I seen think... a moose in the wild? I definitely have in Vermont. No. No. Like on the road at dark? Outside. I don't go in the boonies. Our trip was the most of the boonies that I've been in Maine. I that, am that like in the continually perplexed by like you as a human. Like seriously, we like we don't we don't get it. I, I keep you guessing. What what else is what else would another unpredictable force in my life? I I'm welcoming in the chaos. It's okay. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing no we always welcome. welcome. Yes, yes. That was so good, guys. <sighs> the Google Scholar shorts that we do. I'm so excited for transitions. It's sick. How old are we? <laughs> Okay, so my question this week to you all, how do you think group therapy can be beneficial in reducing perfectionism? Oh, boy. I just love group therapy. So I'm, I think modeling, seeing other people take risks and tolerating imperfection could do something for you. I think Mm -hmm. I could see it. But the comparison to other people and the perception that you think that they might be doing better than you. Ooh. I could see it. Getting that triggered, a good facilitator would point that out if it were happening. Yeah. You guys said all the good answers. Honestly, okay. you guys are perfect. Jess has got a curveball, I bet. I know. Yeah, that's the thing. I, 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 never actually, I feel Jess. like this one's actually pretty straightforward. I picked it because it was about group therapy, honestly. Um, yeah. So... Uh, this they came out in 2023 and it compared dynamic relational therapy DRT, which combines critical components of both interpersonal and psychodynamic group psychotherapies to psychodynamic supportive therapy or PST. And that group's main objective is to improve patients immediate adaptation to their life situations and difficulties arising from perfectionism. So both DRT and PST conditions experience moderate to large improvements across pre-treatment, mid-treatment, post-treatment, and six-month follow-up up on all outcomes. So they looked at trait perfectionism, perfectionist itself presentation, perfectionistic cognitions, symptom distress, life satisfaction, and work and social adjustment. Mm-hmm. And then when comparing the two groups, participants who are allocated randomly to the DRT, so the dynamic relational therapy, tend to experience greater improvements in self-oriented perfectionism, perfectionistic self-promotion, 
non-display of imperfection, which was um, defined as concealing overt displays of any imperfect behavior, non-disclosure of imperfection, so not disclosing or verbally revealing any imperfection, and work in social adjustment compared to just the psychodynamic supportive therapy. So it was pretty robust results. Bust. I just, just love the idea of that because it goes back to something I think K10 said of like, when you're around other people sort of being vulnerable, modeling imperfection, it's like, it's so much easier to connect with. It's so hard to connect with someone who's perfect. Mm-hmm. We try all the time with Jess, but like, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> like, what do we, what do we even make fun of Jess for? It's harder. It is actually harder to make fun of Jess. How many times have you seen in this episode? No, just in general. We're, we're doing an experiment. No, I'm kidding. We're not. But It's more difficult. All of us are like, she's got a research study or a meta-analysis on us. She's like, I have, have you know, KBI, I've been studying your back movements lately, and there's a meta-analysis to show that it impacts the way you are and makes you irritable and spicy. Oh no, that's God. the that's the trauma in the inner Scorpio, actually. The inner well, Scorpio. Inner Scorpio. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Oh fuck. I forgot about that. I'm that the, explain, that actually, it does actually fit you, but yeah, it, it explains everything. Because you're the only non Earth sign in this group. Yeah. The I don't know what that means, are all but yeah. Earth signs. It means the other three of us are very grounded. <laughs> I don't I find it ironic What's that I'm rising, a water though? That's sign. really who you are. You know? I don't know. Here we go. We'll do a whole episode My, on this. Yeah, anyways. We, yeah. we could. We all, oh, don't we all have co- co-star? Oh my gosh, we should definitely do an episode. Yeah. <laughs> Your rising sign is who you are. I, I am no expert in astrology by any means. I'm literally a novice, but that's just what I've noticed. I think I have. Do you want to have? My rising's Capricorn, I'm pretty sure. I think that's why we get along. I have to go look anyways. Justin, you th- you looked like you had a thought. <laughs> I was like, if you ever want to have a fun uh, self-reflection, you get into co-star in your signs. But, you know, I, I did think that any sort of group work, I feel like it could model sort of a new path forward for people, but it also mm-hmm. runs the risk of that's why you need good co-facilitators yeah. of like oh, yeah. to steer it in a direction that is a new, like braver, more vulnerable path forward. Cause I did worry, like when you're first talking about that study, if it could sort of just make in a bad group mm-hmm. would make everything mm-hmm. increase. Yeah. What was so interesting my, to I for- me. Oh. I just quick, I found what mine are because I forgot that my friend told me I'm a Scorpio sun a Libra moon and a Scorpio rising. Fuck. To some listener out there, they're like, I knew it. To the rest of our listeners out there, they're like, (sighs) (laughs) So you're a lot of Scorpio. Does that surprise you? No. I I, I honestly know the most about earth signs. Because... I am one. And most can you imagine of a group therapy session with like all Scorpios or like all Capricorns or all like, like all of one sign? I do wonder all perfectionistic Scorpio. Can you imagine? We're running I think that would be good learning for everybody. <laughs> good learning. Be something. It'd be um, good learning. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I think what something that was really interesting to me about this study was that like the relational group therapy 
had stronger effects than just the one that were focused on like adapting to life situations. Right. And I feel like this is like very much in Justin's realm. Cause he always talks about like social connection and relatedness. But like, I think a lot of us conceptualize perfectionism as like a really individualistic thing. And in many ways it can be isolating, but like just, I mean, both were very effective, but just learning how to like adapt to life situations or challenges due to perfectionism did not show as significant of beneficial effects as that interpersonal component as well. Mm-hmm. I think KBI said it earlier. It's like the comparison piece sort of undoing that, or at least becoming aware of that it would be so essential. Like, I think that would be missing from the other group. Agreed. One thing we're never missing is the least favorite part of this podcast. (laughs) Y'all voted. (laughs) We heard you loud and clear. You hate, but that's actually not true. The data showed this was not your lowest ranked part of the podcast. And yet you slightly favor it it or enjoy it. On its own. So (laughs) we're not throwing it away. We're just highlighting that this is your least favorite child. You're really selling it. I love it. Question number one to you all who hate this. Hate it because it's not perfect. What's happening? Just do the polls. I feel I feel like this is like I feel like I'm witnessing like a, a Maury show or something. Like I feel like this is like scary. Oh, Would God, you say you insane. are a perfectionist? <laughs> yes, most of the time. Some of the time. <laughs> no, almost never. What is going on? Why are you laughing? <laughs> Just tell me what you think. I would say most of the time. Most of the All time. Right. Most of the time. Let's go. 56% of you amazing people said most of the time. 39% some of the time. 5% almost never. Happy for you, 5%. I want to be them. Who are, who are they? Do you feel most pulled or what do you feel most pulled to have perfect in your life? Work and performance, school and grades, relationship connection, myself, my reactions. What do you think? Myself. I was going to say grades because I feel like I remember from like a previous poll that our group members generally are that younger, probably in school, graduate school age. A little shocking here. 51% work in performance. Oh, 24% myself, my reactions, 18% school and grades, seven relationship and connection. This was the one I was really interested in. Do you think perfectionism is more beneficial or harmful to your well-being? Mostly beneficial, neutral, or mostly harmful? Mostly harmful. Mm -hmm. I hope hope they pick the answer that Justin wants to hear. Otherwise, we're going to get a lecture. Oh, my stars. 73% of you said mostly harmful. 20% said it was neutral. And 7% said perfectionism was mostly beneficial and we are gonna have a chat seven percent of you i'm scared possibly excellence but don't you dare think perfectionism is mostly beneficial i'll find you and show you i make make you watch me film some content and you'll be like oh no no please 
That'll go away. We'll film Justin <laughs> filming content. Oh, there you on. go. <laughs> oh my there God. That's you my go. favorite videos to watch is the behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. We're going to do a few of those. <laughs> if or when you struggle with perfectionism, what have you told yourself or what have you done that helps? Evaluate why I feel the need to be perfect in this situation. Love that reflection. Reminding myself it's okay to be human. Allow myself some grace. Reflecting that I have to make mistakes to learn and grow. Someone else said fall down seven times, stand up eight. You can always try again. Reminding myself everyone messes up. Perfectionism decreases as sheer overwhelm increases. Not quite positive coping, but interesting. Asking myself, will this matter five years from now? Shoot, I probably could ask myself, could this matter five minutes from now? (laughs) Deep breath and try to look at it from the big picture because nobody cares. Well, guess what? We care about your poll responses on your least favorite part of this podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll handle all the feedback from now on and we'll just delete certain things for the podcast so Justin doesn't have to worry about it. <laughs> but no, what one of your favorite segments of the podcast was? This is looking up. The group member <laughs> questions. Let's do Lego. I'm doing group member questions this week, guys. I did forget until about 20 minutes before the podcast, so. <sighs> Typical Scorpio energy. I'm Again, perfection, <laughs> I'm recovering perfectionist, because if it was me, I, they would have been done last night um, in a previous life. If it was mine. you, you are you. A, I meant to say in a previous <laughs> life. If it was me in a previous life, they would have been done last oh my night. Oh, God. But. I feel like I'm now like I'm just a divorce mediator right now. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Tiffany from Virginia asks, praise seems to consistently come from when we excel. How do we help change the narrative that we, that what we do does not equal our worth? Mm-hmm. I'd just like to jump in because I just saw good old Andrew Huberman Talk about a research based on this with uh, toddlers. I believe they're around like four or five-year-olds, which was basically, it depends what we praise, like what we get praise for. Mm -hmm. Um, And they basically had them do this little task. And the ones that were like praised as some sort of identifier of like, you're so smart versus ones that were praised as you worked really hard Mm -hmm. or you put forth you know, good effort there. You, you stayed on the effort track when they had them do it again. The ones that were praised as like, you're so smart performed way, you know, worse than the ones that were like praising the effort, the process of the pursuit. Mm -hmm. That doesn't answer your question at all, Tiffany, (laughs) but I just wanted to let you know what Andrew Huberman was uh, talking about. No, I love that you brought that up because honestly, that was my first thought is because I think a lot of us, especially probably millennials um, and 
Gen X. Yes. I was like, we're Gen Y. Um, We're praised for the outcome Mm -hmm. and not the process. Mm -hmm. And that's something like in my parenting, I'm very intentional, but I mean, I definitely still slip up, but I think a lot of that, our worth is based on what we do is because we were praised on the outcomes of what we did versus the effort. So one thing, Tiffany is like rewriting that narrative or challenging that narrative, like asking yourself, you know, did I try my best? Did I put effort towards this rather than did I get the outcome I want? The other thing that came to mind is as humans, you are worthy just because you are like, we would not look at a baby or a toddler and say, you don't have worth. No, like we all have worth just by existing and trying to, I know this is very like cognitive, but like tell yourself those narratives and also identifying where this connection between worth and um, what you do came from and kind of deconstructing those. Uh, Amy from Ireland asks, how can you stop the disappointment from not reaching perfection in one aspect of your life from turning into a shame spiral where you feel like everything you do is wrong and just not good enough? I think that first goes like if we bring it back to the distortions of catastrophizing, right? It's you have to catch yourself and realize that you are catastrophizing. Um, That's usually the first step. And realizing like, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to pump the brake. So because I got, I didn't get this not a hundred percent and instead I got this grade, I'm not going to suddenly like fail out of school and, yeah. and going that far or, or again, you could take it in any direction, but. I like that. Actually, I was thinking like, when I think of shame, it means like, there's something within you that inherently feels flawed when really what you're doing might not be up to the expectation of what you want. Right. So maybe your performance is more the thing to focus on rather than who you are as a human. Because I think when we feel shame, we feel like there's something about me that makes this wrong. Like I'm not going to make it, you know? So I think kind of massaging through, is it, is it me? Is it the situation, you know, looking at all the variables? I think that's sometimes helpful for people. And again, it looks different for most people in different situations. Mm Mm-hmm. I think another thing too, and this is, I guess, a more broad thought, but you know, you talked about not reaching perfection and thinking about like, was my goal actually realistic given my circumstances? Because a lot of times, you know, I know we're using a lot of grade analogies. I think a lot of people can, uh, relate to that. But like, say, you know, you've never received a 100 in class or it's a really challenging class, or maybe you didn't have enough time to study because life happens. Like, are you setting unrealistic expectations Mm -hmm. given your current circumstances? And if you recognize like, okay, those expectations were like out of proportion or unrealistic. um, I think you can start kind of giving yourself more grace with those things and allowing for more flexibility. So Stephanie has a question for us. She's from Washington. She says, do you guys struggle with perfectionism in terms of yourself as a therapist? If so, how does it impact you as a therapist or your work with clients? Is there anything that you do that helps you to remind yourself that you can't be a perfect therapist? I think because my perfectionism is so ripe 
in the content creation and like other creating space, like home improvement space, it comes out a lot too. No, I don't have this problem as a therapist. I think maybe one of the main reasons is I have a frame that psychotherapy is anything but linear. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of two steps forward, three steps back kind of work. And like KBI said earlier, a lot of uncontrollable factors are having at any time. I think early in like my first year, I put more pressure and stress on myself for sure. Um, But I think the more you do this, you realize like you, you know how to show up and you know what are the core things I can offer to somebody. But guiding someone towards change is very, very difficult, especially when they've been this way for years, if not their entire life. It's not something that genuinely or generally happens fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I used to struggle a lot when I was a new therapist. Like you're like Justin saying, like maybe you're one for me, it was like the first two years of like just seeing clients. I was like, thinking even if like we're not the best fit or even if like we're not going to get this person feeling a hundred percent, we could at least get them feeling a little better. Um, and I always had that expectation for myself and even my clients. And it actually just drove us apart. Like it just, it Mm -hmm. didn't create a good space for therapy because we're not for everybody. I had to be okay with that. And I think my perfectionism just in that one area, and I don't know if it's perfectionism or people pleasing, I really don't know which. Um, but I was always so hooked on, anybody could benefit from therapy or anybody could benefit from therapy with me. Right. When really, no, that's not true (laughs) at all. You know? And I just kept thinking and holding myself to that expectation and my clients too, that I'd be like, Oh, let's try this. Let's try that. Um, until my supervisor was like, you're doing something wrong. And I'm like, Oh, it like hit me in my soul. And I'm like, what, what do you mean? I'm just trying to help. Um, and she's like, you're really trying to manage the room in a way that, it's creating a disconnect for your clients. Mm. So now I kind of look at this similar to Justin too, um, of like, it's a process. And I've always thought it was a process, but you can't help everybody. And not everybody wants to be helped by you. I mean, they want to be helped by the person they want to be helped by. So that was one thing I struggled with as a therapist. Um, Now in my practice, I used to be like really big with objective measures of progress. And now I just, I don't care about that nearly as much unless the client wants that. So Mm -hmm. those are the two things I've worked on. So when I heard this question, I was immediately like brought back to the video recordings. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast so much, like having to tape myself during like graduate school and things like that. And I think that's probably when I struggled with perfectionism the most because I knew like my supervisor was going to watch and criticize and analyze and kind of like K10 was saying during that time, I think it definitely impacted the therapeutic relationship because I was so focused on doing the interventions, like exactly how the manual said that I was missing things in the room. I was missing, you know, behavioral cues or just like the nuances that now Mm -hmm. I don't struggle with. Like I don't take notes during therapy. I, you know, if I make a mistake, like I own up to it and things like that. And I think also it's just with time. Um, and we talked about this during our AMA. Yeah. Cause, um, somebody asked about, you know, <clears throat> it was brought up like the blank slate therapist. Like I think as I've gotten further in my practice and recognizing or approaching therapy as like, yes, I have this degree, but I am also like a human and the relationship is what is so 
important. And people want to have a relationship with a therapist who's a human, not a robot. They can have AI for that. Um, And that has really helped me. Um, And there are definitely times like I will say something and then I'm like ruminating on it after I'm like, oh, that didn't come across right or whatever. But the next session, I'm just like, I want to go back to something I said. And a lot of times they're like, oh, I didn't even like... Catch I remember what you said. <laughs> what? Like, yeah. yeah, or things like that. Like you said so that, that and you're like, fuck. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it definitely bring creeps that up. up time to time, but it's very specific. Like, ooh, I don't mm-hmm. think I worded that exactly how I wanted to, and now I'm worried it came across this way. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Shay from Chicago asks, is perfectionism inherited? Meaning, is it more likely for a kid whose parents are perfectionists for them to have it as well? What's the heterability rates of perfectionism? <laughs> Google this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, think my, it, it can be a learned behavior. That's what I was going to say. Like, mm-hmm. like that, that learned piece that, and again, what is taught to you, right? If I go back to the story that I told, like, in a way, it was taught to me. Whether it was perfectionism the idea of it was unintentional. I was, they were trying to teach striving to do well, but instead taught perfectionism. Mm -hmm. What's the Google scholar say? Yeah. So this random study that just came up twin study from 2022. um, So self-oriented perfectionism, 0.48. I don't know what this is. And then um, socially prescribed perfectionism, 0.68 under the influence of common environmental factors. I'm just reading this as it is. So So there might be a genetic component, right? I mean, when you think about it, there has to be. Yeah. Imagine like you have a real rigid perfectionistic Intense, and this is always like trying to split the hair of what was taught to you versus what's your biology. But like, mm-hmm. if you're handed that biology, it doesn't mean for sure you're going to have it. But is it going to increase your chance? Yes, mm-hmm. and that holds true with any trait your parents might possess. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. What are you gonna say? I was gonna say, in some siblings, you see it hit, and other siblings, you won't. And I think that's the interesting thing when you see families who have like three, four kids is you can see the ones that did it hit in and the ones who didn't get that biology. That's so true. Like me and my brother. Complete opposites. Me and my brother are very similar. It's really weird. He'll he'll disagree with me. He doesn't listen to this podcast anymore, but Tommy, (laughs) I know I'm better than you. Anymore. He gave up. He did. Rude. He didn't like the polls. He hated it. He hated the polls. He was like, I hate the polls so much. I'm not listening, especially when Justin does them. I'm done. Like, I'm out of here. But but I was thinking about like something that KBI and Justin are saying, kind of like a molding of those two. I do wonder how parenting styles affect perfectionism Mm. in kids. Like if you have parents that are are like authoritarian versus authoritative, right? Like authoritarian parents are kind of cold, but then they have like really rigid rules. Maybe there's less warmth and potentially less love, depending on how we categorize that, maybe. Um, Not to say they don't love their kids, but just their parenting styles. And then authoritarian, no, authoritative or like 
warm, but they also have rules, but they're like, oh, mm-hmm. just do your best. Right. But we still right. love you. You know, um, so I think if you're kind of striving, that authoritative parenting style might reduce that level of perfectionism. And this is my hypothesis. I don't know. Um, I'm just making this up. But I just I wonder about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I found another study from 2021 that 32 to 46% like, oh, wow. um, yeah, so moderately. That's a pretty solid uh, percentage. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, interesting. So, okay. Yeah. There's another one that says 32 to 40, 30 to 60. Like, so there's, yeah, there's definitely some genetic um, component as well. But to KBI's point too, and like, I didn't read any of these studies. I was just looking at the abstracts. I do wonder like how much is that genetics compounded by like, learned behavior is it direct genes or is like the learned behavior a mediator because they see right parents grandparents etc acting yeah and totally ways or do like perfectionistic parents tend to have a like lean towards a certain parenting style more Mm -hmm. to bring in k10 or if you have a oh. perfectionistic parent, maybe you want to be the opposite. And you're like, screw all this. I don't and want I've anything. seen that. Oh, I don't want Lord. any of this. Yeah. I know, I know there's <laughs> listeners being like, that's me. You see oh, that yeah. direct, like, I saw the way it crippled my dad. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that. Christy from Washington has a super important question for us. And it is, they have other important questions too, but be the rat from Ratatouille. Or Donkey from Shrek. I would want to be the rat from Ratatouille. I'd be Donkey any day. Donkey's definitely funnier and more of like a comedic sort of like avatar. The rat from Ratatouille is like really driven and has like goals and like boss energy. Donkey kind of has sidekick, comedic, class clown energy. <laughs> Give me Donkey! I was about to say. <laughs> Have you met me? I'm Fair. Donkey all the way. We overlap there. I was going to go with Donkey for like no other reason other than donkeys are so cool. They like, are. They're, cool. Like, they're so badass. Like they, they could like literally protect any like livestock. Like they're the coolest. In my opinion, right. they're like one of the coolest animals ever. So I'm going to go with the donkey. In general. Okay. A rare three one. It's usually a rare three one. It's usually I've never seen Ratatouille, so that's probably why. Very driven. Very talented. Rat. Very Jess. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a personality quiz. Kind of is. Question. So the person is going to be like, Jess, you have to be a Ravenclaw, but we've already talked about this. Oh, I'm definitely a Ravenclaw. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyways, yeah. moving on. <laughs> I don't know if we've but, talked about this, but it's I, just, no, a I don't think we're we, the most are you a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh yeah. <laughs> you can give off big Hufflepuff energy. <laughs> there we go. That's me. Um, so Christy does want to know, and I'm just, this is, this is directly towards Justin. Can being a perfectionist be helpful in any way? <laughs> let's let's answer it, Justin. His <laughs> demeanor just changed so much. You <laughs> know what? It's such a, a great bite, like 
Oh, <laughs> it's a great question. No, it's a great question. And I want you to hear this from the source. <laughs> Hell no, Christy. That was aggressive towards Christy. Well, I just wanted it to come from the source. I want Christy, I want you to know it's a it's a big no for me, dog. It's a big excellence, the pursuit of effortful growth. You know, any way you want to label this is better than perfect. That word in itself, don't you let me catch you on the streets using that word, Christy. I'll find you out there in Washington. My aunt lives in Olympia and just be weary. Oh my God. I'll buy you coffee, but don't let me catch you saying perfect. This is going to be my new favorite thing when we're in Florida as I'm just going to casually <laughs> slide it into conversation. I'll cringe over and over. If we're at some place, you're like, oh my gosh, these views are perfect. Like, I will internally be like, use any other adjective. It's perfect. These cookies that KBI made are perfect. <gasps> that will probably this be, is gonna be the ultimate like, We have to come up with like I feel rules like and limitations cookies, and boundaries. I feel like my cookies are the only thing that Justin would ever describe as perfect. My cookies are going to totally destroy your cookies. Just like, I'm just so excited like, to Justin, eat them. Barb is perfect. <laughs> My mom is not perfect. She is. She is an angel. She is she a perfection is, of an she's angel. A nice lady. Do not talk no. bad about that woman. The, the amount of people perfect. have requested your mom to be a podcast guest is like insane. Anyways, well, we'll talk stay about tuned. That. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Savannah from California says, how do you let go of perfectionistic tendencies when those around you have come to assume that kind of performance is just normal? I've been a perfectionist at my job for so long. I produce high quality work as a result. The problem is it's just what people expect of me now. And I'm afraid that if I let go of that, people will see me as underperforming. <sighs> mm hmm. I just feel this for her. I really do. So Savannah, this, this hit home for me because I have this distinct memory. And I think I've actually mentioned it on the podcast of the first time I felt like I truly set boundaries at work with a physician. Cause I would always like, I always complete my consults in 24 hours of getting them unless it's a weekend you know, Friday, I'm only there half days and I will always stay late to do new consults, like all of this stuff. And there was one Friday that I got three new consults and I was like, there is no way I can do three new consults on a Friday. And I remember being so terrified, but I just went to the physician and I said, I always try to get these done same day. I'm not going to be able to do it. Which ones would you like me to prioritize? And her response was, oh, that's totally understandable. Like, yeah, just try this one. And from that moment mm -hmm. on, like I learned that I can set boundaries and people don't think I'm underperforming mm -hmm. because I'm not underperforming. I'm just not going above and beyond and burning myself out, which I don't want to assume that about you, Savannah, but based on what you have said, I would imagine that you might be feeling pretty burned out. So I would start by like setting boundaries and it could even just be like, no, I can't take on that extra project today or like if you have a time that you have to clock out leaving in that at time and sending saving the work for tomorrow because 
I would argue, and you all can disagree, that most of us that are high performing in our jobs will still continue to perform or to produce high quality work, even with boundaries in place. We are just going to feel better and less burnt out. Hmm. I love that. One of my favorite lines when I worked at the hospital was, well, what would you like me to take off my plate to accommodate your new request? Here's all the list of things I have to do. And it would just like be like, oh, no, all those are important. Okay. Can't take it on. Sorry. And I would just like let it go. And I would like cringe later and cry in the bathroom. But then I would feel so excited later, you know, like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to do that. Um, but I do think uh, to Jess's point too, it's like the performance that you have is based on burnout and it's based on you mm. overperforming, you know, and obviously if you were to not overperform, the performance will change. Right. I mean, it, but it doesn't mean that you're underperforming. It means maybe you're performing up to par, you know, mm-hmm. you're just not over exerting yourself. Emily from Texas asks, is there a connection between perfectionism and people pleasing? I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred percent. Like it's not a one-to-one ratio, but like (laughs) pretty high. Yeah, I don't have the data, but I'm thinking about clients I work with, have worked with, and it definitely correlates. I think it's a similar mentality of like, I have to show up for people in this way that they couldn't possibly see me as flawed. which the avoidance of flaws is like ripe in perfectionism. And when you're people pleasing, it is, it's self-sacrificial. It is the same thing of like, I cannot let anyone know that again, I can't be everything for them or do everything for them. It's also interesting that people pleasing, the thing I hear the most of any quality is worrying about someone else's emotional reaction, which is always a real fascinating part of people pleasing that it's that concern that you would make someone sad or they, you would make them disappointed. It's a really unique aspect of people pleasing that you don't necessarily see in a lot of other, I don't know what else to call it, but mental health difficulty pattern, however you want to categorize Mm-hmm. So I was trying to look up to see if there is any like correlation numbers and I'm not finding that, but it's interesting, like what comes up, like how people pleasing and perfectionism both are born out of the need for approval or, um, a desire to prove your worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, just things like that are are coming up but yes if you google like correlation between perfectionism and people pleasing there's a lot of stuff on it and you know some things say people pleasing can be a form of perfectionism or people pleasing frequently Mm. is at the root of perfectionism so absolutely sam from north dakota asks how big of a role do you think religion can play into this desire to be perfect. I often wonder if growing up in a legalistic Christian church where you were judged on your actions has made me feel like I should and can be perfect. Thank you guys. Love the podcast. We love you, Sam. Sam. I think it absolutely can. (laughs) 
Yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I mean, there's a lot of data and I'm like, not a religious trauma expert by any means, but on how so many religions, and this is not bashing religion, but this is just based on what I have read. A lot of the messaging instills a lot of like guilt and shame and that need to do more to be closer to God, Allah, whatever um, you believe in. So, I mean, thinking back to some of the things we talked about earlier, like the shame spiral and things like that, I can absolutely see how if you are getting messages that you are not good enough or you need to try harder to reach whatever it is, that can definitely fuel perfectionism. I think it also depends on how people view and perceive it and Mm -hmm. the people that you look up to in, you know, in your congregation or church or, you know, um, that community and how they talk about it. You know what I mean? Because I think I'm not religious by any means. And I, same with Jess, I'm not an expert at all. Um, But I, I I sometimes think about when people get into like the black and whites of like, I'm just going to use this as an example, like this is a sin and this isn't. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you're engaging in behavior that's technically falls into that category of sin, is it a mistake or is it something wrong with you? Is it a sin? And that means that you're a bad person and you have no way to fix it. Like what are your options? You know? So I I think that it, the narrative, it really, really matters and it matters how it's, um, how it's talked about and then how it's talked about impacts how you internalize it. Mm-hmm. Cause if you think, Oh gosh, there's no way for me to repair this, then of course you're going to want to be perfect with everything else. I mean, cause you don't want to ever feel that again. And that's just one example. Katie from Colorado asks, how do you go about getting out of the cycle of feeling so let down by yourself when you don't get something perfect and get out of the, if I can't do it right, I shouldn't even keep trying or keep doing it. First, label your cognitive distortion of black or white <laughs> thinking. Here we go. Crossover. <laughs> go, listen, go listen to our episode on cognitive distortions. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and in all seriousness, like labeling it as a distortion mm-hmm. can, depending on the person, can help immensely because then you're noticing your maladaptive thought patterns. Agreed. And behind that or after, it's often of like, why do I want to do this? If not, if my only reason for doing this is to do it perfectly, it's a shitty reason. And I know because I fall into that of like on the surface being pulled into doing something perfectly. It's like, wait, 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 wait. But what's the value? What's the reason? Because usually when you peel back, like especially if I relate to my own content creation, it's much more about just sharing the education that I've been privileged enough to get modeling vulnerability within my own story and mental health. And when I lean on those things, it frees me up in a way that I'm like, who gives a damn if this video is perfect or not? It's meaningless. What's important is the real reason why I'm doing this. But what I'm with you is like perfectionism is like the clouds that block up your true values and your true why. And you push those stupid clouds out of the way and be like, ah, this is the reason for me. And I've definitely, when I've worked with clients in the past, one of the things I said, I said, 
imagine if we quit every time we didn't successfully do something on the first try. Wow, you know what we yeah. wouldn't be doing right now? Walking. If we quit the first, because yeah. we all fell down the first steps that we took and we fell down a lot. And, but the reality is we kept working at it and eventually mm. we learned how to walk and sure. then we learned how to run. And so I use that as an example of just kind of saying like, imagine if we, if we just quit the minute mm. something just did not work out. Um, mm that a lot of times it does take work. I think it go, again, we go back to Malcolm Gladwell. It takes 10,000 hours of doing something over and over and over and over to be considered an expert in something. And so it does take a lot of practice and there are going to be things that some people are just innately good at. And some mm -hmm. things for some people, it takes really a long time. I am innately good at being crafty and do it yourself and things like that. I am not innately good at sports. Mm. Not my thing. It, but like Justin, like you said, like you, like sports are something that you're innately good at, but there might be something that you like, that there's something that you have to do that requires more effort for you to build that quote unquote mastery in. And so there's also, it's always finding those things to help us like kind of balance it out on those challenging things that you're working on, like making sure you do have things in your life that you are also balancing in that do make you feel accomplished and building mastery as well. And that not everything has to be this fighting battle, but it's also think it's important to realize too, this just isn't working out for me mm. and it's okay. Right. That was me with piano lessons when I was a preteen. I was like, absolutely not. I gave it a good go. This was not for me. And I was just miserable. Yeah. It's a good example. Oh, yeah. Well, y'all, our time with perfectionism has come to an end. Uh, we love spending time with you. As always, we leave you with a, a reflection question. This week, we want to know what is one thing that you will do this week to challenge your perfectionism. So head over to our Instagram and leave a response. Feel free to like, share, subscribe, send this to anybody in the group chat and label it perfect. Send it to Justin, CC us. Um, and next time I had to, and we'll see you next week in group therapy. Bye y'all. Bye. Guys, that was a perfect episode. <laughs> <laughs>